Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back to another episode of Slay House Presents. I'm your host, Trevor. With me today, co-hosting is Eva Wiggy. Um, and we are joined today by special guest, Catherine Silva. She is a Maine horror author, a connoisseur of coffee, and victim of cat shenanigans. She's a two-time Maine Literary Award finalist for speculative fiction and a member of the Horror Writers of Maine, the Horror Writers Association, and New England Horror Writers Association. Her latest works are the novelettes within the Wild Oblivion universe and are now available wherever books are sold. A sequel to The Wild Dark entitled The Wild Fall is due out in August 3rd, 2023. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kat. It's really exciting to have you. Thanks for having me on. I've been really excited about this. So, I mean, you've been working incredibly hard um, to kind of showcase the Wild Fall as it's you know coming out in August. Um, how has some of the journey been to kind of drum up interest and market? Oh my God, uh, it has. It's, it's so much work. Um, I am technically self-published. It's a small press that I own and run um, that the books are published through, but that does mean that I am doing basically everything by myself, Um, you know, uh, besides editing or, uh, you know, things like that. But the marketing aspect of the book is all on me. So it means that I have to be present on social media uh, a lot. Um, means that I have to be emailing bookstores and um, conventions and uh, different publications for reviews and reviewers and everything else consistently uh, to try and get word about the book out. And it's just a lot. Uh, (laughs) A full-time job and you know, everything else because it's summer. So everybody's busy and mm. crazy. Yeah, I I resonate with that a lot. As someone who works a full-time job and a part-time job and does this uh, as a third thing, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like always a lot to handle. And then you have Twitter imploding before our eyes. Yes. New uh, <laughs> social media apps cropping yeah. up. And it's like, how do I how do I rebuild this entire audience from the ground up, you know, and, and I don't even do the publishing stuff that, that Jeremy does. You know, I, I think we give off this perception that maybe we're a little bit bigger than we actually are, but it's like two people. And I can't imagine one person doing all of the work that you do. It's just so crazy um, and yet also very inspiring. Like I see all of the hard work that you're doing and it's just really, it's really impressive. Yeah, it's incredible. It's good. Thank you. I, um, it's a lot, but it, it does keep me going. And, you know, I um, don't know what I would do if I didn't have it, I guess, 
because just the the staying busy part of it is um it's my drive so so um do you feel like working in self-publishing that that gives you a sort of like freedom to uh, you know kind of pursue the kind of literature that you really want to pursue um or or do you feel like it's limiting to you um in terms of your creative expression i i think when i started self-publishing it was a very different right the writing community was a very different world um i started self-publishing back in 2010 when self-publishing was still a very new thing and it was looked down on quite a bit um and but but the idea with it too is that you had a little bit more leeway than with a lot of the big five publishers out there you were able to control more um you were able to kind of keep your vision with your your book and uh that just that felt very important to me at the time and i wanted to i just wanted to tell my story and i wanted to get my stuff out there the way that i wrote it so i published a series of vampire books which were you know very popular at the time and um and over the years the whole indie publishing industry has changed. There's so many small presses out there that are doing wonderful things, beautiful things um, that that are also letting authors really keep their visions intact. So I, while I do really enjoy self-publishing, I do think that I'm at a point in my career where I would like to be branching out and really exploring relationships with other small publishers um, and and just, you know, trying to get a wider scope because in the long run, I can always learn from others. Um, and I, I would like to see how some of these other publishers address uh, getting their books into stores, uh, mm. setting up events, um, you know, being able to maybe do some events in places where I haven't had access to, or it's been limited access to. Um, and then maybe in the future also be able to publish some writers under my, uh, my imprint as well. So that's kind of just a look at where it, came from and where it's going hopefully there, there is like a very wide community i think like a very big community in indie publishing right now and it is really interesting to see how many people are doing different things and i feel like one of the draws for me in indie publishing is that we're able to get i think books that don't necessarily fit into what like the big five really want like yeah. I feel like big five publishing in horror is always so very homogenous and they don't like to take risks on stuff that maybe has a little bit more niche appeal or maybe just doesn't fit into their like neat little boxes for yeah. um what horror is and can be so I look at you know I look at new indie publishers like shortwave or i look at your books um you know that are really fascinating and present i think a very different approach to horror 
that at least to me feels really exciting. Well, thank you. I I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your your books, we've been talking about these books for the last several weeks, Eva and I. Mm-hmm. And um they tackle some pretty heavy topics that I think are really compelling and branch out of just kind of the expected because these novels are like kind of apocalyptic, kind of post-apocalyptic sort of um, horror. And yet there's so much more dimension going on. There's a whole metaphysical presence to these books um, that I don't think I've seen represented in other apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic fiction. So as we begin talking about these books, I kind of wanted to open the door and have you, um, you know, maybe explain a little bit about what the wild dark is, what the wild fall is about um, as a kind of continuation of the wild dark. And then we'll kind of get into some of these aspects that really add so much dimension to your work. Sure. Um, So the, the wild dark was, um, is the first book in the series and it is a, the the long and short of it is that it's about an ex-cop who is uh, trying to survive an apocalyptic event where a forest purgatory is taking over the world um, while being haunted by the ghost of her dead partner and um, getting further into it, it it kind of is horror and it's fantasy and it's a love story and it's um, uh, grief horror and um, a lot of the the horror that's represented in the book is not the uh, blood and guts horror that is fairly typical when people think of horror. It is definitely more emotive, uh, moody, dark, um, emotional horror. And um, it's it's basically like a person who is trying to come to terms with all of this grief and trauma that's happened in her life and um the world is turning into a very scary dark place around her um and how she's coping with it and the second book in the series the wild fall is more dystopian uh takes place in the future uh, very different vibe, I think, from the first one. Like, it does carry a few similar um, threads from book one, but it is more of a, like, we're here in the future and the world is as it is, and it's about these characters just trying to survive in this, uh, how the, what the world has become. Um, and it's it becomes, I think, a little more fantastical in the second book versus the first one um, because you do kind of get to see a little bit more of the the metaphysical, uh, as you put it, the the reason for why this is happening, um, which we didn't, we kind of scraped in a little bit of it in the first book, but not a lot. Um, we get into it more in book two. Yeah, I I feel like the first book in a series is always kind of trying to establish like what are the stakes? Like what's what's really happening? What's going on? 
and your book in particular gives us a really great character dynamic um that really i think sets the tone like the emotive tone you you talk about emotive horror and i do want to circle back to that at some point um but uh, you know the second book is is usually where you you start to go bigger it's like you know let's really establish kind of the the bigger um uh, uh, stakes or lore or world building, right? And that's definitely what I got out of um, the Wild Fall. You know, there there are certainly more answers in this second book as to what's really going on, and yet you don't skimp on any of that emotive horror. I mean, there's still that very emotional core even in the second book. So I I kind of want to hear from you a little bit. Um, you know, you you set mood really well and you work in this emotive space that I think is not traditionally what we consider horror to do. And yet it very much is a central component of what makes horror work. So what were some of your decisions in trying to craft this this kind of call it emotive horror Um call it uh uh you know what you will what were some of the the dynamics that you were really trying to play up and and how did you make those decisions um i i think a lot of it does have to do with how i write um because i personally i don't have a lot of time in my schedule to sit down and write every day um i know a lot of writers are able to do that and that's that's super cool, (laughs) but it's not, uh, it doesn't work, uh, for me. So when I do find time to write, it is extremely important that I make my space and my, my mindset, uh, very involved in the world. So I typically will put on this, really dark sad music to listen to (laughs) and typically it's the same song like on repeat if I'm really feeling it it's the same song on repeat um and I can go for hours like it doesn't get old it doesn't bug me um but if I can lose myself in that and then just really like let the world take hold I'm able to uh to live inside of the the scene I'm writing without, uh, you know, uh, feeling those emotions too much personally. Um, And the, I, this is going to make me sound sadistic, but I just really love writing grief horror. Um, I, I, it just like sustains me in a really weird way. Um, Like I was sharing earlier this week on Twitter that I had watched sort of watched a few seasons of uh, Outlander and but I kind of skipped around because I was very invested in this side character's journey and I really wanted to know what happened so I just like didn't watch what most people watch which is the love story between you know, Claire and uh, Jamie. And I skipped ahead because I wanted to know what happened to the husband, the poor husband who'd been left by himself uh, (laughs) in the future. And he had the saddest 
most depressing story arc and i lived for it like it was it was so sad but at the same time it was like i love this and i want to write something like this this is like this is what i live for so when when i went into writing the wild dark i was just like yeah i want to make people sad I want to write this this thing that's going to feel <laughs> cathartic to me, but also just really like drive home um, how uh, romantic and and sad this these characters' uh, story is. And uh, so I think it. I part of it is sadism, and part of it is um, just loving uh loving dark moody atmosphere and i i think a lot of that too comes from just like my favorite films and games and books are all more i want to say gothic but i mean not necessarily gothic but really mood horror versus uh the slasher blood and guts horror so yeah i i think that um uh, was it Sadie Hartman, I think, wrote uh, an essay about horror and was writing about um, horror is an emotion, right? Like, like as opposed to all of these other genres, which I think we can very clearly identify through, you know, the, the use of, of particular tropes. Like, you know, is, is it really science fiction, for example, if it doesn't have some kind of a novum, right, or or something like that? There has to be like a technology or or you know something of that sort that that sits at the base of science fiction whereas horror is as an emotion really it's just a a huge broad range and, and as a result i think we see horror reflected in even other genres you know um it's so easy i think to marry horror to almost anything be, because yeah. it is an emotion right and so yeah. what I really enjoy about your books is like, it's, it's right there. It's like the defining trait is, is the emotional pull of circumstance and how horrible those circumstances can get. Um, and yet, because we're tethered in that character's experience, right? Um, it feels like there's real stakes and a real connection to the characters. So we can feel that, that, emotions seep through into us too um mm -hmm. i gotta give you some high praise especially in um the wild dark i i don't want to i don't want to spoil the book but i also really want to talk about certain you know portions of it um there's a, a certain character defining moment at the end of the book which i'm sure you know what i'm talking about um and and I felt at that moment equally shocked because it was like, oh no, how could this happen? But also like, no, that was inevitably going to happen because the emotional arc, the emotional through line was so clear for the entire book that when the moment arrived, I'm like, this is, yes, <laughs> this is the distillation of this journey, the ultimate kind of payoff for all that we've seen going on through this book. And I think that speaks to your craft to be able to weave emotional horror, emotive horror, grief horror 
into the entirety of a character arc so that at each individual moment, we're like, this is consistent, coherent, and so good. Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know that there's a question in there, um, <laughs> except to say, you know, so when you were kind of building the characters of um, Brody and Liz, you know, what were some of the the kind of salient dynamics that you really wanted to play up? Um, how did you, you know, kind of come up with these characters and the unique situation um, that they find themselves in for the book? Well, a lot of a lot of the time when I am uh, inspired to write a book, it's because I have a character that is compelling in my head. Um, and in this case, I was inspired by characters that um, are similar, I would say, um, from another universe that that I wanted to see taken in a different direction, but uh, ultimately were not. Um, there was a TV show called Fringe that used to be on TV and because um, it's a TV show, duh. And um, <laughs> the lead character, Olivia, I think is just was a compelling, creative, awesome character. And there was a side character on this TV show uh, who was killed off, I think, in the beginning of season two. And they had a really beautiful friendship that did not get a lot of screen time, but it was it was like there, but they they just didn't do a lot with it. Um, and then there was like a brief arc about the grief that followed when this character died um later on but but I was like I was hooked I loved their their relationship and I wanted to write something that that would uh I think ease my anger at that character being killed off um I just I was doing it more for like I, yeah, I, I just wanted to, to feel, uh, good. I, I, feel, I feel like the, the need for closure from yeah. like, you know, the fictional characters that we run into is, is the origin of a lot of stories really. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I have a habit of getting, um, attached to characters that get killed off in almost every single television <laughs> show. Like my favorite characters always get killed off. So this was like the latest and greatest and I was mad. And so I wanted to write something and I got really invested in this idea that like what would have happened if they had had a chance uh, for their relationship to have uh, grown and been explored more. And uh, especially in the supernatural circumstances that were going on around them, how would it have changed? So I started writing that story and then it, it kind of uh, developed from there with the inspiration of, of all of these different um, fantastical elements that I decided to weave in. 
Um, but at the core, the story is those characters. And they did find a life of their own. You know, obviously Liz is not Olivia um, and Brody is not Charlie. Um, they putting them in different scenes uh, showing how their relationship has changed over time. That to me was the most fun to write about the story and also you know to put them through torture because that's who i am <laughs> um but um and then coming to you know book two in which things have have changed not to you know spoil anything certainly but um examining that relationship after all of this trauma uh, has happened was also uh, a very different way of of looking at how things have moved on. So, when you were crafting the Wild Dark um, with all of these very intricate kind of character interactions and revelations, did you have to kind of outline the the arc for your characters, or do you feel like you really discovered a lot of their story? just you know kind of writing like just writing through the the book i i'm a pantser when it comes down to it like i um i usually figure out the ending before i write the the rest of the book so i knew how it was going to end before i knew most of what was going to happen um and so when i have an ending i just have to get there and uh so a lot of that was discovery um, and just like, you know, to have those late night revelations of like, oh yeah, this is going to be great. Oh, I'm going to, you know, put them through this and have them meet this person. And, um, and a lot of it was, um, you know, if I had a sudden inspiration for a character who would, who would show up, it was likely because I, watched something or uh seen something or listened to something that inspired that uh that character while writing the book what's what's so hard is that just like i keep a lot of it in my head mm -hmm. i don't write down a lot of detail like it's if i'm into a story i'm keeping things up here and if it's a specific like date or name or something like that, then sure, I'll write it down so that I don't forget it. But otherwise, basic concepts, um, overarching themes, um, things that that I want to use broadly, it's all kept up in my brain. Um, and that makes things a little hard to describe years later <laughs> when i'm <laughs> trying to look back and and explain how i thought of things i mean it's still that's still very impressive because you know with the wild dark i felt like the whole book is so thematically consistent and the characters felt really consistent um so that at at no point in time in the book was i really like does but does this really fit i'm like yes it there's so much thematic resonance i think 
to to the book and and what the book is really exploring, which is this messiness of like human lives and the relationships that we build with one another. You know, um, there's a lot of there's so much grief, um, but there's also joy. There's there's loss there, but there's love there. And there's this kind of complicated feeling of like, how do we let go of something that won't let go of us? Mm -hmm. And I felt like the whole book is exploring that dynamic. The whole book is is really kind of driving toward that particular kind of question. And um, so thematically, it was really resonant. And I felt the same way about the the sequel, um, although in a different a different light, because I think the sequel is doing kind of its own thing and it, it has its own questions to ask. Um, so it, it surprises me to, to hear that it's just like, it's just all in your brain and that you don't have this like huge elaborate kind of storyboard for everything. Um, no, honestly, what's, what's funny um, on this wall uh, behind you, there is a giant post-it thing and I make notes on that and then stick the giant post-its to the wall um, <laughs> and basically the only stuff I wrote down for the wild dark was uh, important character um, stuff like dates people were born names of places when I was creating the city of Flintland like all the different aspects of the city um, but that that was all I had and um and then at some point the uh it got so hot in this room that the stuff wouldn't stick to the wall anymore so <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't just like look at it I had to kind of fold it up and put it somewhere and then you know the rest is history but you're, um, you're you're blowing my mind a little bit in the fact that Flintland is not a real place I had just presumed yeah. it's like an actual town in Maine or something I um honestly it was first called Ashland and I was going to I was gonna keep that name and then I found out that there's an actual town named Ashland in Maine so I couldn't use it um so I had to you know come up with this alternative name and um but no this place is kind of like a cross between portland and bangor um those are kind of the two big cities um and take it's right in between them and you know i wanted it to have the cultural diversity of portland but i wanted it to have the problems of bangor i guess is the best way to put it i do like city creating it's just something I enjoy the whole book kind of like for the wild dark it kind of starts out with Liz just choosing self-isolation and kind of how that changes as the, the apocalypse kind of like takes over um like were there things that you thought about like when it comes to, like the community and the isolation like how did that like affect your writing do you think um I did make notes about this um so this is uh I think that what I was finding with Liz as a character is that she is a loner by definition. You know, since she was a kid, losing her dad, having her mom not uh, not try to be there for her, or understand with her and her sister, just kind of being too young, 
Liz has always kind of had to take care of herself. And so when trauma happens to her, when thing, when bad things happen to her, her uh, way of coping with it is to self-isolate and, uh, and then spend some time examining that for herself by herself so that she can kind of get over it. Um, and what I wanted to have happen was this understanding that as she grew as a character, she would learn to realize that it's okay to, to trust other people. It's okay to, to lean on other people for help, um, which is kind of where that first book ends, spoiler, not spoiler really. Um, and then for an examination of book two, that just because you're okay with community doesn't mean that every community you want to be with is safe. Um, everybody has their own agenda. Everybody has uh, their own selfish wants and needs, especially in this new um, world, you know. And um, so learning who to trust and learning who to be with is just as important um and then i also wanted it to kind of take a 360 a little bit too because um in the beginning she is self-isolating and but is also very confused and not doesn't have all the answers um and i wanted there to be this this idea that like she has changed as a person she has realized that maybe being alone is not such a bad thing after all if you are seeking out the answers on your own um, for the right reasons. So whole whole thing there. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there, there was a lot going on with that thought, um, but mostly I also am one of those people that that is a self-isolator. So I did have that personal, uh, those personal feelings when I was writing that character too. I am also a self-isolator so I get that completely but I loved the way that you know like there was just so much character growth within Liz herself like in the first book and I just thought that having like there was just such a like at least for me there was such a clear message of like what you were talking about like you know you can find community and you can like rely on other people and I just I don't know I just really was curious about that so that's awesome thanks you have a lot of, um, again, it kind of leaning back into this thematic resonance of, of the story. Um, there's a lot about relationships in here. There's a lot about community. There's a lot about isolation. And I think that fits into some of the, the kind of metaphysical horror that the, these books also explore in the merging, which is your, you know, kind of apocalyptic event this opening of purgatory so that you know people are kind of haunted by some of their loved ones or some of the people they knew in their past <laughs> and i kind of wanted to dig into this mythos with you a little bit to explore some of the things that you were trying to explore you know through these concepts of this otherworldly purgatory and 
the forest or the woods that just seems to consume everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is my favorite question. I'm just going <laughs> to uh, because creating creating the mythos of this world has is in a it's an evolution first of all um, this this series has had a really um, weird like arc because a lot of little books in the series have come out between book one and book two and they play just as big a role in creating this mythos uh, as the bigger books have so when I was working on the wild dark, I, I was inspired definitely by a lot of video games. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are gamers at all, but I love horror video games and especially the moody ones. Um, and this one game called Limbo that came out uh, in early 2010s, um it is a side-scrolling super minimalistic black and white game about a boy who wakes up in the woods and all of the you know terrifying things that he encounters uh as you journey through and it's a puzzle platformer um really really like stark ambient soundtrack um and i fell in love with this idea that um you know this that this kid was you know maybe dead and that this was him journeying through the afterlife or purgatory to um you know get to the end and so that's where the the idea of like these deep dark woods as purgatory came from and then it got uh more complicated with more games that i played and also uh art that i was inspired by there is a polish artist named zitislaw biksinski who has created some insanely beautiful weird surrealistic paintings and if you have seen any of them you will know that they're just like like kind of gut churning, creepy, um, uh, but also very fantasy as well. And um, and a lot of his artwork inspired scenes from uh, the, the uh, civilization in, that lives in the woods or that lived in the woods. So, so I was taking components from those paintings and putting them in to the woods. Um, I have these super dark uh, nostalgic memories of watching The NeverEnding Story and some scenes from The NeverEnding Story, which have definitely uh, intruded into the creation of the woods. Um, Things like Wizard of Oz as well. Those, those two movies in particular are, are huge. Um, and then some other games that, that did come out uh, that were inspirations, Tormentum, Dark Sorrows, Amnesia Rebirth. Um, I had written another one down, I'm pretty sure. 
uh, scorn. It's another one where you're, you know, basically in hell. Uh, and um, Soul Reaver, which is another huge one, which does talk about the concept of like uh, souls being recycled and, um, you know, the wheel spinning and all of this stuff. So, um, so those are, I, I pulled from everything and, and just kind of wanted to create something new and different. And then um, when I, next book in the series was actually Hallowed Oblivion, which is like a prequel. And I wanted to explore like maybe a little bit of how the, uh, the woods started showing up. Um, and it uh, kind of confused people a little bit mm -hmm. because uh, they assumed that these kids had like done a seance in the woods and that's how it all started but it was a little bit of a red herring too and um and then there's dan and andy which is probably the least read <laughs> book in the series but it's also a very different um feeling it's a comedic christmas horror story <laughs> which is about these two you know best friends who are at the bar and then the woods take over and they're stuck in the bar um and we explore a little bit more of that like soul corruption stuff that uh that does happen when uh ghosts are you know um in the the material plane or they're you know they start to get corrupted and then um and then we head back to book two. I did forget to talk about Orchards, which is in there too, but that is a sequel that is from Brody's point of view after The Wild Dark. Um, oh, and wow. that is more of that, like, it's a, it's a um, poetry, dark poetry, um, sort of, imagery black and white imagery sort of thing and that's definitely got some limbo inspiration in it too but um so there's all these components and it's definitely evolved over the course of these books and spoiler there's others <laughs> that do have that do keep like bringing more uh knowledge about the the mythos so it's gonna just keep getting deeper and darker but i like this idea of like holding back just a little bit and giving you tidbits of information here and there um like sort of hp lovecrafty in this this cosmic like you're existing in this other universe and you don't even know it and it's it's so much bigger than you've imagined um yeah i mean i think that as a reader that's some of the stuff that i turn up for you know like <clears throat> i like it when there there is a little bit of mystery 
um but you know kind of an allusion to like there are rules to this like there are you know there's a whole lot that that is probably going on behind the scenes that will eventually be revealed um the only times i don't like that is when jj abrams does it because he doesn't know <laughs> what the fuck he's doing right <laughs> but i i like your comparisons you know kind of your your comp call it your your mood comps um in the 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 array of media you mentioned because i think i can see the clear influence as you're talking about it especially oh my gosh never ending story which is like one of my favorite deep cut uh fantasy movies of the 80s like i feel like nobody really talks about that movie and how utterly bonkers but brilliant it is in this very metaphysical existentialist kind of nihilist way right um i read the book too and i i i think i had one of those weird childhoods where i saw the sequel i saw never ending story two first before oh, wow. i saw never ending story one and never ending story two was one that we always rented just on repeat and that one is so dark i think without even meaning to be because it it kind of is a little bit silly um the first one is is a masterpiece in its beauty and how it's displayed the second one is kind of like silly but we're dealing with dark things um and the book is both one and two and um but there's yeah the the, the gates the gates <laughs> and the like the running through the the sphinxes that that whole part of that is this like that whole feeling <clears throat> and the mirror and everything that is all in here like I just pulled those feels and yeah. held on. I, I see the influence of like the nothing um, yeah. as well. Like, uh, you know, the, the, this idea of just this, this like en encroaching kind of uh, in, in, in the case of the wild dark and the wild fall, like this encroaching limbo, this encroaching, you know, kind of purgatory. Um, this, otherworldly space where where just it's kind of like all consuming um mm -hmm. i see a lot of re residents there and then the i i don't know why i very obviously i felt like the wolves in your books are totally that weird black like tiger panther wolf yeah from, from, uh the gamork yes yeah <laughs> yeah I, um i love that yeah i think that was more that was indirect uh i didn't i hadn't really thought about that one um i i actually the um the wolves in the wild dark and the the wild oblivion series are actually based on the wolves from lady in the water <laughs> oh wow <laughs> okay that would those were scary like that was scary and I loved that. And I love that movie. 
and um and that whole universe as well like that just existed outside this this like dying hotel or whatever it was mm-hmm. um god what a fantastic uh realm that was also yeah i i think i think subconsciously i i just cast the wolves as the the gamork thing mm-hmm. um because I, like that's my cultural reference is is yeah. absolutely that movie yeah so like getting into some of of again the metaphysics about like like birth and rebirth and and kind of this like weird cycle of of like what what even is death <laughs> what does the other side look like how do we cope with that um and furthermore like the horror of just being revisited by the things that we feel we're supposed to let go of mm-hmm. um what were some of the the what was the impetus there to explore some of these ideas um and and you know have your characters kind of work through that um that's i mean so that is getting pulled from you know my my inspiration there was definitely soul reaver and this idea that like um in order for the world to continue to uh exist and and be um you know normal that human souls need to just keep getting being recycled um they're they it's part of the machinery of the world and when they don't when they aren't recycled everything stops working and these woods start consuming um so the natural balance of things is out of order and and um that's so that's where i was taking the idea um was i i liked this idea that there is not uh you know not a heaven not a hell there is just this other and in this other people are processed like components um Mm. it dehumanizes the idea of morality you know that that whole like doing good doing bad it doesn't matter unless what kind of does but not not to like you're gonna end up somewhere better than this other you know this other soul um you know the souls that are corrupted get processed and then you know they go into the wheel um so it's everybody ends up in the same place though is the thing um and everything starts over again and there is this timelessness to it and i think the idea of having a timelessness to it is is a cathartic feeling also Mm. uh so but i i liked the dehumanization i guess of you know doing away with the the typical afterlife ideas it, it leads to a really interesting reading because I, I think when we talk about like souls or we talk about, um, you know, these these kind of like cycles, whether you call it like a cycle of reincarnation or or, you know, like recycling or, or you know, what have you, um, 
there's there's like always a heavy emphasis at least in american culture i think on like drawing from judeo-christian mythology um so to have a something that diverges so completely from that you know is is not interested in having those conversations uh, but having conversations you know in its own kind of universe its own kind of like system its own way um is refreshing it it i think opens up avenues to really examining more of of human life human experience human relationships that i think a lot of G- judeo christian lore just shuts down right like i feel like we don't get as rich an interrogation of you know these these like complex human emotions like grief um when it's just you know you just hand wave it's like oh well you know they went to heaven or whatever so kudos to you you know for crafting something that i think is is really unique and very interesting something that i have not seen before um in in at least in like western literature oh thank you i like it and it's really hard to like i've been grappling with this like well you supposedly wrote the end of this you know the end of this main series what are you going to do now and i'm like i don't I'm not sure i want to leave it uh cuz i really like writing it so was was the wild fall supposed to be the conclusion of the it, series it was um however i uh it's it was supposed to be the conclusion of the main series that there are shorter books still within the series that have yet to come out i have like i'm seriously still considering writing a book 3 it's just it's out there right now in my you know in my list of of what i'm going to do but um but i have fallen pretty hard for <laughs> for these characters in this universe so i could totally see that as a reader i'm just going to tell you i had presumed there was a book 3 coming um a lot of people have and that's the other reason that i'm kind of like <laughs> ah shit um yeah yeah i i maybe like you uh but in a different way i've been very invested uh, you know in these stories over the last month or so as i've been uh, reading these books um because i think that gosh uh not to get like too super personal but um grief and and cycles of grief have have been very deeply on my mind um over the last year and seeing a book like this that does not shy away from exploring that topic and and really you know kind of giving a a full-throated examination of the impact both good and bad of grief um it, it just it has been something that i've like i've i've really desperately needed over the last year mm-hmm. um so i've become very invested in like the especially the life of liz i'm i'm just like um i want i want to keep kind of exploring 
you know, what happens to her? Where, where is she going? What is she doing? And, and really, you know, what are the, the, the ways that she's kind of coping with her circumstances again, for good and bad, because I think she's a very complex, flawed, Mm. interesting character, um, much like all of the other characters that you've written in both of these books. I am, I'm pretty invested in both her and Brody. Um, so it's, I, I think that there's always going to be stories that I'm going to tell that surround, that are surrounded by grief. It's just, it's a component in my writing that I love to write. Um, so no matter what the next thing is, it's definitely going to have that as a theme. Um, and I'm always interested in, in trying to find new ways to talk about it. Um, there is another book, shorter book coming out in October, which is a sequel to Hallowed Oblivion, which is definitely, definitely grief exploration Mm. um and that does uh that is i'm writing that basically because i lost a good friend this year somebody who uh kind of like a father figure to me um we worked together and he um meant a lot to me so i you know, I am still going through that, uh, that self exploration, self, uh, mm-hmm. isolation, I guess with that. And, and I'm using that to write this story and, um, and it is, it does, it's very special to me. So it's, um, I think that this will certainly be on the same theme as the rest of the books. Well, Catherine Silva's next book uh, is coming out August 3rd. You can find The Wild Fall anywhere. Um if people would like to know more about your work and upcoming projects, where can they find you online? Oh, well, it's not hard. First of all, um, <laughs> I, um, you, I have a website, which is, uh, Silvaauthor.com, And I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok blue sky and threads so there's any number of ways to find me (laughs) right now (laughs) how do we manage any of this (laughs) i know uh it's ridiculous yeah well thank you so much for your time today um again i Listeners, I highly recommend that you pick up The Wild Dark and The Wild Fall. Um, these are, are two really interesting books with some phenomenal character moments. And uh, Catherine, I really hope that this book uh, just blows up for you. It is great work. 
So thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. This was fun.